and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. A bit late this week, aren't we? Technically, nearly a week late to put this out. Um, I've got blame you. We did a a little one on Saturday, didn't we? And we uh, didn't have the correct mics. You had your mic and you gave me a computer game mic that made me sound like a (laughs) fucking child. So we had to bin it off because it didn't work. I also forget that um, when giving you anything that involves you having to focus too long and actually hold the microphone in front of your face when Liverpool are playing is an impossible task. Um, so I don't think I we'll feel do that's that the, as you say. I think that that that's the fair point. If I had to just stand with it in, or hold it in my mouth or by my mouth, I think it would have been alright. Given that I was watching the football because we were doing it mid Liverpool City. Um, I hold my hands up. That was probably my fault. And um, to be honest, it was a good job because I might have used the wire to hang myself by the end of the game, <laughs> given the result, particularly when we went 1-0 up as well. So uh, we probably this, this episode is going to be slightly better because it's not got me celebrating when we go 1-0 up and then just screaming at the, uh, the screen at how shit Trent Alexander was and when we went goal after goal down. I think it was quite funny as well because... I think you'd scored literally as we just started the pod. So you were really happy, really excited. And then about 30 minutes later, whatever it was, they'd scored. And then you were a little bit disheartened. And what, it won all at half time. And then by the time the second half had come, uh, I think you did. Exactly like Real Madrid, wasn't it? Like they scored second 2 1, what, like a minute, minute, 30 seconds into the second half. And from that point onwards, it was just, you knew what was going to happen. I'd, I'd be honest, I quite enjoyed it uh, until, of course, um, we had my mates round, one of whom is an Arsenal fan, and then Leeds bottled it. And the uh, radio stream that obviously we were listening to, because that's the only way that you can possibly watch slash listen to a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, uh, wasn't very good. Not particularly happy with yeah, them. Yeah. I- um, well, you saying you enjoyed me losing 4-1, I took equal enjoyment in you getting dicked by Arsenal. So uh, I think it was uh, a draw in compared to how shit our Saturdays went in terms of football. I'm going to say it. And then obviously we went out into Ponte shortly afterwards and your night lasted all of what, an hour? Uh, I think it was a little bit longer than that, wasn't it? I think I got picked up around about half past six, uh, sorry, half past seven by the missus. I am I, quite, um, I can recall being picked up. I can remember getting in the car. Um, and after that, I woke up Sunday morning with absolutely zero recollection of anything after the car journey home. Uh, apparently, I came in, went for a piss and passed out in bed at about half past eight. So, um, good night. I've got to say, I, I didn't so, even understand because you didn't have that much to drink. I'm still standing by the fact I think you had four or five drinks. Well, we must have had four or five cans at yours watching the football. And then I went straight on to the double rums. And I'd had, I think I had two pieces of toast for breakfast with no food. So again, I go back to, I always make the mistake. Zero food ends in disaster for me every time. To be fair, you got a free lift home, didn't you? You didn't have to pay for it. There were no taxes. You bit of a cheaper night because you got picked up within an hour or so. So, uh, yeah, well, you got away with it again, didn't you? Maybe, maybe more pro plus is what you need. I think. 
and from the sounds of things, I didn't really miss a great deal in terms of the boxing. And I'll be honest, I woke up in the morning, looked at the result, and I was like, do you know what? I'm not even going to watch that wank. Couldn't even knock him out. So I was like, nah, I'm not even going to watch it. So I haven't even seen the AJ fight. Yeah, you definitely didn't miss too much. And we'll get on to the, the boxing uh, probably at the end of the, the episode. But uh, start with football then. So we, we covered two of the results there very, very quickly uh, about what happened this weekend. Results didn't particularly go Leeds's way. They didn't particularly go Liverpool's way. Um, bit of a shit weekend all round for football. And by the time we're recording this, we've already had the midweek fixtures. So it's, well, some of the midweek fixtures. There's some tonight. Uh, yeah, there's a couple tonight. West Ham, someone, I think. But um, I mean, if we start with Liverpool, uh, disastrous in the Newcastle one on Sunday to Man U to, to cement further their. Uh, Champions League hopes. Um, Brighton won again and won last night as well. So it started to pull away. Um, so Liverpool's chances of top four, I think, are pretty much gone now. Um, to be honest with you, we got completely outplayed yesterday uh, against Chelsea. If Chelsea had any kind of finisher whatsoever, we would have easily lost. They squandered chances and just didn't have a cutting edge. If we play like that against Arsenal on Sunday, we will get forward like you did. Um, well, you know I love my uh, supercomputer statistics, which I keep bringing up to you. Uh, Liverpool now have a 16% chance of making the top four. Not a, I would not say a that's chance. generous. I would say that's generous. Um, but they are appalling, absolutely appalling. I mean, what... A, a very winnable game against Chelsea, given how badly they're doing. He rested Van Dyke, he rested Salah, he rested Robertson, allegedly rested Trent, but Trent just needed to get out of the firing line because he was dog shit. So Gomez played. We just, just a, yeah, about as poor as we back to. We had that little spell where Liverpool seemed to improve a few weeks ago, and I got a little bit excited, particularly after we humbled uh, Man U, but yeah, back to absolute dog shit. It was an awful game to watch. He came out afterwards, didn't he, Klopp, saying that um, you can't expect, or he didn't expect a team with so many changes, referring to Liverpool, to play their best game of the season. But those changes were enforced by himself. They well, weren't... Don't, don't make those changes. Yeah, then. exactly. I, I just didn't understand it. It's, it's a very strange... I mean, Salah's the one. Why are you taking out your best player? We had zero goal threat. I mean, Nunes looked okay in spells as he does, where he just, you know, is not one minute he, he, he can look like he can do something and the next minute he looks absolutely garbage. We played Diego Jota up front. Hasn't scored in 30 fucking games. How that motherfucker is even getting near the starting lineup, I have no idea. I don't know. I feel it's a bit of a fall from grace from as well because were it last season that he was quite hyped up and he seemed to be doing quite well and, and leading the line quite well. And then I think like the rest of your team this season, apart from Allison, because once again, from what I hear, Allison was class uh, and made a number of good saves. But once again, your, your team just seems to be falling to pieces. I think last season was a bit of a misnomer for Jota. I think he had a, what I would refer to as a an Adebayor or a, a Jermaine Defoe, where he just had a very streaky period where he scored a lot of goals and very important goals. 
Um, the player for me that stood out, and I read an article the other day uh, on Sky Sports about how important he was to Chelsea and what uh, a difference he makes when they played their win ratio was uh, Fafana. He was absolutely outstanding uh, in defence, made a goal line clearance basically of a head art from a shot from Aminio, had most of the Liverpool players in his pocket, he ventured forward, um, incredibly, incredibly impressive. And uh, I'll be honest, when they spent £75 million on him, I was thinking, what on earth are you doing, given that's what we paid for Van Dijk? But abs- player, player of the match for me, he looked absolutely classy. I mean, I'll, I'll have a look at the highlights, but from what you said, I think that's the, the thing that you actually messaged me, saying Fafana is class um, midway through the game. I wouldn't so. watch the highlights. Well, you could probably <laughs> watch the highlights now and it would be done in about 10 seconds. So there wasn't a lot of highlights to watch. So uh, I would save you 10 seconds if I was uh, honest with you and not bother. If it makes you feel any better, I'm quite happy about football today after last night. What what uh what, what what was the score? What did someone predict to you the day before? Oh, I think it'll be a relatively easy two-one win. Uh, and what was the score? I don't remember because I feel like if someone had predicted that, they would have definitely put a bet on it. And uh, and I, don't I did see any evidence. Uh, did you actually? I had a bet not on the score. I had a bet on Leeds to win with both teams to score, which was ironically given you telling me, um, uh, Forest hadn't scored in however many games. And I also had a bet on Villa uh, to score with both teams to win, uh, uh, both teams to score, which came in in the last minute. So I had a little, uh, nice little uh, couple of hundred quid come in uh, last night off a 25 quid bet. So uh, I put my money where my mouth is with Leeds. On a little bit of a roll with betting recently, are you? Yeah, I've had a couple of bit more. I've been paying a bit more attention, seeing as I've hit a flat pot and fucking hated life and hated everything and couldn't be fucked with football so I wasn't really uh, betting on anything but um, got a bit lucky with the Villa one given it was uh, very very last minute um, but yeah I went on Leeds um, both teams to score so um, good result for you guys and, and the rest of the results obviously went your way as well Leicester losing uh, uh, Bournemouth losing so um, up to the heady heights of 13th if I'm not mistaken Correct. I mean, false position, isn't it? And we've discussed this before, but it, it literally means nothing. I think we're two points off the drop zone, so it can all change straight away. Having said that, if Leeds beat Crystal Palace at home on Sunday, we're then into 12th. So it, it's it's a weird league. Um, question for you, just because I was discussing this with a couple of mates uh, earlier this morning and last night as well. How many points do you reckon you'll need to stay up this season? So Leeds currently on 29. Um, is it 27 the bottom teams have got at the moment? Yes, yeah, so 27 is the team in 18th who, I can't remember, is it Everton? Uh, Leeds are on 29 at the moment. It's so tight and there's so much changing around and sort of uh, positions changing. I would say 35 or 36, I would have thought, would keep you up. Something in that re- And 40 points has always been... Certainly for the last four or five years, that kind of magical, you get to 40, you're safe. That number's slowly dropped a little bit, hasn't it, in more recent years when teams haven't done so well. But I think you get to 35 and you'll be all right. And if you're saying you're on 29, beat Palace, who look a bit of a shambles, that takes you to 32. One more win and um, could be safe. Oh, a long way to go, yeah. And I'm a Leeds fan, so I know 
better than to count my chickens. Um, out of curiosity, do you know what the highest total or points total that a team who were relegated got? I think I have a suspicion. Was it 42? It is. Spot on. Yeah, West Ham in 2002-2003. Uh, Went down with 42 points, which is They call horrendous. me the encyclopedia, the encyclopedia is what they call me. They don't. They so, call you uh, a lot of other names, but I, I don't feel like it's appropriate to repeat them on uh, on this podcast. I'm not uh, going to lie. That was an absolute, complete guess. Right. So uh, <laughs> I can't take any credit for it. I just got really lucky. But I had a feeling it would be over 40. Just, um, But you'd be, let's put it this way. You'd be fucking gutted if you went down with 42 points. That 100%. would be devastating. I, I agree. I think that the amount of teams that... I think people are a little bit sort of, well, there's so many teams down there, so you'll need more points, when in actual fact, it's the complete opposite. The more teams that are battling for relegation or against relegation, the less points you're going to need. If you've got two teams that are cut adrift, the irony is it's actually harder to stay up because you're going to need more points because you're battling with certain teams for you know, the 17th spot in the league. Um, I think 35 saves you. Ever been a season where it's been this tight? I certainly don't remember it where you can be, you're talking maybe, I mean, certainly Leeds are in in 13th. I don't know how many points uh, team above you in terms of, is it Palace that have got 12? Any of those teams from 12 down could go down for me. I don't recall a season that close with that many teams. You normally get, what, four, five, six teams that are in the mix and it's going to be three of those six. I can't recall one this close where there's that many teams in it that even Leeds, you know, we're doing well. We hope that uh, they they carry on. You suddenly lose five out of, you know, your next five games, you're going to plummet straight down into that zone. Yeah, absolutely. And and Southampton at the moment seem to be the first team that are starting to get cut adrift. So they're on 23 points and a bottom of the table, um, having played the same amount of games as everyone other than West Ham, who have two games in hand. So West Ham should get out of it. Uh, and if you say they're playing tonight, that's uh, obviously the first chance that they get for that. But if Southampton go on a run of three or four games and the teams around them, you look at Leicester. Leicester were fine uh, a couple of weeks Leicester ago. Leicester look in real trouble, mate. Real yeah. trouble. I mean, the, t- the two today are not really having a, a huge impact at the bottom, but you've got Man U Brentford. Um, Man U struggling for, for fourth at the moment and been overtaken by Newcastle after that result in third. Brentford pretty safe, just you know, mid table obscurity. You never know, depending if they carry on, they could sneak into Europe, depending how the Europa League and who wins the Champions League. But then the big one is West Ham, Newcastle, and Newcastle obviously playing well, but West Ham could very, I mean, they're 15th, West Ham, but they're on exactly the same points as Bournemouth. I mean, you look at looking at the table, Bournemouth in 18th, Bournemouth, Forest, Everton, West Ham up to 15th, all on 27, Wolves 28, Leeds 29, Palace 30. You've then got a gap to Chelsea at 39. So you legitimately anyone from 12th could go down. 100%. And you look at those teams that you mentioned there, I've got the form table for the last six games. Leicester City have got one point in their last six games and sit bottom of that form table. Then it's Forest then it's Palace, then it's Wolves, then it's Southampton, Bournemouth, Everton, so on and so on. Leeds in the dizzy heights of sixth since Gracia came in. The reason for the sixth game, uh, or the last six games, is because that's when Gracia came in. Uh, Arsenal, obviously top of that. City, second. Villa. And I just want to highlight Villa, because Villa are sitting in third, so they've picked up 16 points from the last six games. Emery seems to be doing an absolutely fantastic job with them. 
I saw, I saw a stat the other day again uh, on Sky Sports, this was, and I think uh, Villa have got something like 10 more points since Emery came in than Chelsea. It's ridiculous. Turned them around, absolutely looking really good. And you give him a full summer, maybe make a few tweaks, get bring a few of his own players in. Again, without being probably too stereotypical, I'm sure he'll probably raid the Spanish market that he knows a, a little bit about of, bring a few players in. They could be the uh, a surprise package, a bit like Brighton uh, are being this year. But um, Brighton, for me, it's just how how and who they can hold on to. Yeah. Because every year they get smashed by people. I think it would probably be fair to say that Calcedo looks like the one. His stars faded a little bit, but I could still see teams going for him, particularly Liverpool, seeing as we're not going to get Bellingham now. I could see him. The one for me that they need to keep a hold of is Matoma. If they can keep a hold, uh, hold of him for another year or two, he looks an absolute superstar in the making. I saw, obviously, with Brighton winning last night, um, you take a quick glance at the scores. Evan Ferguson scored again, didn't he? And then Julio Encesio or Encesio just randomly yeah, scored. Yeah, yeah, young kid. I've never real, even heard real, of him. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, again, it's, it's that scouting network. I think he is, I, I wouldn't want to be wrong here. I have a feeling he may be similar in terms of Calcedo, that he's Ecuadorian. They paid Paraguayan. a pretty small amount. So that new South American, they got him pretty cheap. I think he's 18, 19, another one that they'll bed through. The only other one that you've got to wonder if they can hold on to, who they could get serious money for and a a lot of big teams will be going for him, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up at City as a replacement for Gundogan is McAllister, who I yeah. think is a fantastic player. Yeah, no, I agree. I think McAllister is probably a lot of players, and this is no disrespect to Brighton. Obviously, we talk about Brighton quite a bit, and Deserby has done an absolutely fantastic job since coming in under a lot of pressure. Um, and I don't like to toot our own horns, but I remember when uh, Deserby was first appointed and we did a bit of a rundown on him and uh, how good of an appointment I thought it was. Um, but I think a lot of players, and this is the, the big club mentality, I suppose, a lot of players see Brighton as a bit of a stepping stone in the same way that every other team below them probably are. Brentford probably gets treated like that, not so much as as Brighton does. Southampton used to be treated like that until they've gone into a little bit of a spiral. Now no one wants to go there full stop. But no one sees them as a team where they can go to and say, right, let's stay here for another couple of years. Let's get a a few more players in, a few more big names. Let's push for Europe. It seems to be, right, I've been here. I've had a really good season. My stock's really high. Get me to Arsenal, or get me to Newcastle, or get me to City, etc. And it's it's a yeah, little bit. I think you've got to be realistic, though, that that is the case. And I, I'm not in any way disrespecting Brighton there, but they're not going to be paying those kind of wages. Someone like McAllister might be on thirty, forty grand a, a week. He goes to City, he's going to be well over a ton. Um, you know, is it all about money? Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> for, for a lot of players, yeah. But I, I, I just. I, I think it's naive to say that they're not a stepping stone. And I think it does them an injustice because of how well they're performing. They've got De Zerbi, who looks, you know, like the next big coach in Europe that could go on and do some fantastic things. But I get the feeling Brighton know in their heart of hearts when they buy these players, their scouting network is based on let's buy them cheap. Let's improve them for a few years. Calcedo, I think it was less than two years ago. 4.5 4.5 million. You're going to be getting the best part of 70 million probably for him now. 
Trossard. I think they paid eight million for Trossard. In the end, they fu- got fucked over by him a little bit. Twenty-nine mil to Arsenal. That 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 is what they are, sadly. And I I, I think even the most stringent Brighton fan would probably realise that in the grand scheme of things, that's where they are. Now, if they kick on, they were able to hold on to those players for a little while. They they made Europe, they made the Champions League. That could well change and they maybe start increasing the pay structure. But I, I think there has to be, sometimes you've got to look in the mirror and realise that's what they are. They're, they're, they're the new Southampton, aren't they? When you look at Southampton I, I, yeah. back in the day, Mane, uh, Van Dyke, you know, all of those players that came in, did a fantastic job, but Lallana. used that as a springboard to bounce on to, to bigger and better teams. I, just, I think it's more a criticism of how football is at the moment and how the top four seems to be the top four. And it, it was, you know, there was very little change. It's quite nice to see Newcastle battling it. And, and trying to get into that top four places. Obviously, the sad part of that is the fact that in order to get that place, uh, get to that place, they've had to be quite significantly moneyballed. Um, and there's all the, the issues with that in the background. It's nice to see Villa coming a little bit back and, and a little bit of a resurgence with Emery. Um, it, it'd just be nice to see a team like Brighton who have done everything the right way, to be quite honest, um, or subjectively the, the right way, get the success that they deserve on the back of a season like that. If they broke into Europe, even if it were to, you know, the conference league, it'd be something different for them. It would be a reward for everything that they've done. And it would be interesting to see what happens from that point and the decisions that these players who normally would say, you know, I, I should be playing in Europe. I should be reaching the Champions League. If they've got Europe, even if it's not, you know, the, the Champions League and it's not the, the best of the best, maybe that's the point where they say, you know what, I might give this another year, see what happens and go from there. That, that's the frustration for me is, is, I mean, it's life all over, let's be fair, is every fucker wants everything immediately now. Yeah. Someone like Calcedo, some of these players, they are 20, 21, Matoma 22. Whatever happened to loyalty and someone saying, you have given me that chance to shine. Do you know what? I'll give you a couple more years. Calcedo in particular, look, you've taken me from an unknown in Ecuador to be one of the most feared midfielders in, in, in the league, I'll give you another year. Let's see what we do. Let's see if we get into Europe. I'm not going to promise I'm going to stay with you for the rest of my career, but give me a pay rise. Sneak me a fucking um, release clause in there for 85, 90 mil. So you profit in the same way and I get a better wage. And let's carry on this journey together. So I, I, I completely agree with you. And that's the frustration for me is I don't expect players to have this loyalty for five or ten years, but why not just say, do you know what, I'll give you a couple more years. Agreed. I mean, you look at, uh, as an example, where it can't always go like that. Rafinha at Leeds last season were fantastic for us, probably kept us up, uh, not quite single-handedly, but but very close. Um, no chance that Leeds were going to keep him, and it was always going to be, our um, survival was always going to be caveated by him going on to, to bigger and better things. Calvin Phillips, on the flip side of that, he, for me, has, has fucked his career up and will probably go somewhere else in this summer, if not next. And it'll be someone along the lines of West Ham Villa. to replace Declan but Rice goes, or, or Villa. Villa. Villa or, or West Ham. West Ham's the obvious one to replace Declan or I could see him at Villa. Well, he nearly joined Villa a couple of years ago, so I could definitely see that. I think that's that's quite a good shout. And he would fit into Villa's team if they were to play that way. But it, it's just it's the frustration of seeing this happen 
year in and year out. And it doesn't so much happen to the bigger teams. I think the last time it happened to you was probably Coutinho or Mane. Uh, uh, Mane seemed to be more that he was underappreciated. Coutinho and Suarez was obviously the, the, the big one where he was like, look, I'm too good for you. Let me go to Barca. But th- those two... We're lucky in some ways without blowing Liverpool's trumpet that we don't get many people that are you dog shit. I want to I, I want to bounce on the one in the sphere of what we're talking about that I'm interested to see for, uh, with regards to Leeds is Nonto because he seems an incredibly grounded kid. I really like him. I think he's been fantastic. He's what 19 or 20, and I would be so disappointed if he suddenly comes out now one good season in the Premier League. And he's like, right, I want a big deal, fuck off. He's the exact prime example of what we're talking about to say, look, we've given you the chance. We're going to let you carry on. You're 19 years of age. Give us another year. Give us two years. 21, you could, the world is your oyster and you can still go somewhere else. So I'm, 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 I'm intrigued to see what happens with Nonto. Agreed, because I think he is the uh, the jewel in the crown for Leeds at the moment. And if they go down, he's obviously gone. If they stay up, it, it entirely depends on what they do next. And there's been rumours that they would bounce Gracia at the end of the season and go for uh, Iraola, who they tried to get in January or just after January when the Sats marsh. Or Get yourself uh, a bit of Harry Potter in. What about well, that? You always fancied Harry Potter. Fucking, is, 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 would you take him now if you had the chance? I don't know. Um, it's a weird one because he's clearly a good manager and he will go on to succeed somewhere else. He's got plenty of time in his career. But do you want to be the the job that he takes after the lowest point of his career? Because it can either go very West badly or very Ham well. Was what I read today that if they bounce that. Moyes, that was what I read in uh, BBC today was that if they bounce Moyes, uh, Potter would be lining up and was in sort of preliminary talks with them. And again, you could West Ham fans are another one of these fans, a little bit like Tottenham that don't win shit but it's more important to them to play good football and Potter at least tries to instill that ethos so that I, I that would probably not be a bad move for me for him to try and build that reputation back up um Rodgers um I, I could see Rodgers at, uh, at Chelsea he, he's been there before he was assistant manager I think wasn't he to Mourinho or some kind of lower coach at some point his, his star has definitely fallen but either whether that's an interim thing for a short term and see how he does, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Rodgers uh, rocking up Here's at Chelsea. Here's one for you, because there's been a lot of links to him moving to an English club, and I'm not even going to try and say his name, so I'm just going to call him the Celtic manager. There's been a lot of links no, to him. W- wouldn't take him in. W- so, not being funny, Stevie G wrecked it in Scotland. What the fuck did he do in England? Uh, it is... Pence, Pentecosted lose some again. I can't and that's say why it, I didn't say it. But no, wouldn't take it. I, I've heard a lot about him, and I hear what you're saying. He managed in Australia before Celtic. Celtic are Celtic, and they haven't got Rangers at the level there to compete to. Not a fucking chance would I take a punt on him if I was an English team, personally. Interesting. I mean, I, I could see definitely someone like. And if they stay up, it's a big if at this point. Uh, someone like Southampton taking a point on him. I don't think he's as bad as as you would make out. And I think it's a risk, don't get me wrong, um, to go from that. And we've already seen it with Stevie G and we've seen it with other managers. But where was Brendan Rodgers? Previously? Uh, what, Liverpool. 
Sorry, uh, Celtic, then Liverpool. Sorry, there you go. Celtic, that, that, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool. That, that's exactly what I'm getting at. So he hasn't done a, a terrible job um, in, in England. He's obviously won trophies. Uh, it can work. But it was at Liverpool beforehand, not a team in Australia. <laughs> that would be the difference for me, that there's a, a big step up. And, and don't get me wrong, he's doing a fantastic job at Celtic. I hear a lot of good things about him. That's a bold move for me. Uh, and depending who I was in the Premier League, again, it depends where they're looking at it. I wouldn't want that. One thing I did just say, because I thought I saw it on the um, BBC website this morning in the same way that I just saw about um, uh, Potter mentioned to West Ham. Did you see who had linked with you if they got rid of Garcia at the end of the season? Uh, go on. I'm sure this will be a lot of crap. Patrick Vieira. Jesus Christ. No. Why on earth would you want that? He's taken what he's done to fucking Crystal Palace. Who the fuck is going to give him another job? No, absolutely not. I did see that um, Forrest were also linked with him in that if Forrest got rid of Cooper, there's been some developments on that, and I'll get onto that in just a second. I just um, saw a little thing pop up on my iPod to say that he's staying. So, yeah, so TalkSpot came out and said he's, TalkSpot said he's sacked, basically, to which Forrest have just issued a statement saying... Yeah, this is a lot of rubbish. He's staying with us for the rest of the season. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a I bad idea. I think he's idea. done a good enough job. I've, I've got to be honest. I, I, I would, I, I would keep him. I think it's um, unfair for what he's doing at the moment. I, I, I think I would at least ride out to the end of the season. Would be my own view on it. But um, time will tell. Well, definitely. I mean, he. You look at the job that he's done in terms of the amount of players that they've brought in. And, and some of the blame has to be put on his his end as well because he must have had a say in the players that he's got. Um, last night, one of the most telling things was he, they made a, a number of subs and it just seemed to be a scattergun approach. You know when you see like Andre Ayew coming on and you just think, what on earth is going on here? Um, but yeah, I, we'll see. I, I think he'll... Like you should write out at the end of the season. I still have them going down there, and I still have me winning a tenner at the end of the season from you because Leeds will finish above them. Um, you might be getting away of it now after yesterday that uh, they've they've snuck uh, above it, so um, you, you you might get away with that one. But um, yeah, um, I mean, quickly move on to some other bits of football. Seeing as we've just done thirty minutes on uh, the recap of the weekend. Um, We'll be brief. We had uh, obviously the the dog shit of the international football um, last week. Good results for England. Two good wins. You've got to say against Italy. Um, two wins out of two. Two easy games to come. North Macedonia, I think, and somebody else. I forget. That's twelve points. If you get uh, two wins out of that, it's basically qualified, done and dusted. See you at the Euros, isn't it? As you say, uh, England seemed to be fantastic at qualifications, poor at just about everything else. Uh, they absolutely always dust through qualifications, or have done for a number of years um, since Steve McLaren. And then they get to the finals and they, they get to the quarters, they get to the semis, and then that's that. Um, but one of the things that obviously happened in the last World Cup and uh, is made the news this week for a number of reasons, Harry Kane uh, missing that penalty. But Harry Kane has actually now broken the record as England's top goalscorer. Uh, obviously also in the news about, did you see the, the game versus Everton where he goes down quite easily? 
yeah, I haven't got the penalty again. Uh, I mean, the penalty king um, slightly takes a shine off his record for me because I saw a stat uh, with regards to, yes, he has got 55 goals for England beating Rooney, 18 penalties. And I think in the episode that we fucked up over the weekend, I did a little quick uh, stat. 32% of his goals are from penalties. That takes a massive shine off that record, if you ask me. A third of your goals are coming from the penalty spot. When you've got players like Jimmy Greaves, who Jimmy Greaves, I think, had 49 goals or 48, not a single penalty. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel he does. He gets a bad rap, does Kane. Um, and that'll be one of the stats that a lot of people will use against him because obviously penalties are penalties and majority of strikers should be able to finish them with ease. There's a an art of a penalty, which we won't go into. We don't have time for that. I'm, I'm sure we could talk about that all day. Well, he scored but... 18 penalties and missed the only one that fucking counted. That's <laughs> got to be held against him, surely. I'm going to say, I, I've got no affiliation to him. He's uh, he's cost me a World Cup celebration in my lifetime. So, uh, But no, he's a good player. He obviously will be revered for a number of years by Spurs fans, uh, their top goal scorer as well. I think he gets a bad rap in comparison to a lot of the players. Just essentially, he hasn't won any trophies. But he could go easily for me go to someone like Manu, and they could run through the league. I think if he'd gone to City, it'd have been different as well. Uh, I, I'll be honest. I think he's there's the the Van Persie analogy of do you buy him at the end of his career? Do you get two or three years out of him and he, he guarantees your title? I'll be honest, I think there's better options for Manu if if I were them. I really Ozerman. like the... Uh, Osman is, is the absolute number one target for anyone who needs a striker, if you ask me. Here, Napoli want 150 mil for him. Don't think Manu would pay that when you can probably get Kane for 75, 80. The one for me sneaking under the radar, and I haven't seen a suggested price for him, is the French striker for Frankfurt. Uh, Molo, do you know the guy I mean? I'm going to ruin his name here. Um, played for France in the World Cup and looked very, very good, smashing the goals in in uh, Germany. I'll tell you his name now. Kolo Mawani. <laughs> I'll just wait Kolo. for you to try and say it. Randall Kolo Mawani, so far, 25 games in the Bundesliga, 12 goals, 10 assists. Um, so, for me, 24, you've got a lot more years from him. Uh, really like the look of him. I think he would be a very good shout. But I would suspect one of those three would end up at Man U, and probably Kane is the more likely. Yeah, um, I don't disagree. I think... If you're Man U and you're going down the Ten Hag route, as they are doing, I think you've got to try and buy someone with a little bit more longevity in their career. Because I think it's obviously a long-term plan in terms of the people they're bringing in. Um, is Kane, Kane would do well. We know that. And the Van Persie analogy is a perfect one, I think. He would probably win them a title, but would do very little else. Uh, for the next few years and I think that you obviously you lost your resale value is probably going to go somewhere for a lot cheaper when you're going to be paying 100 plus million because we know how Levy works um, and would Kane be tempted to go logic would say yes but he just seems to take 
these weird decisions in his career. And I think personally, he should have gone earlier. Final, final one, just because again, you know, it's very unlike me to stick the boot into Man U. Did you know Edison and Allison have more assists this season than Anthony? That's ridiculous. That's, that's absolutely but ridiculous. Ninety-six million pounds or whatever you pay for that winger, and you've got two goalkeepers that've got more assists than him. Well, you look at the league that it's come from as well, and then you look at Sinistera and the price that we paid for him, or Gakpo, or Gakpo, but, another perfect example. You could you could buy both of them for the for and have change for what they paid for Anthony, which is disgusting. It's all to do with this, this premium, isn't it? But um, move on to UFC then, because we've got quite a bit to cover, so we'll we'll run through this as quickly as possible. Um, there was obviously the fight night with Sanhagen and Vera. Uh, it was not last Saturday gone, but the Saturday before that. Um, some strange judges' scorecards. Two absolutely fine, one not so much. Most appalling judging decision I have seen ever, or at least in a long time. Um in anyone's eyes, at a very minimum, that was 4-1 Sandhagen. You could quite easily give that 5-0 to Sandhagen, uh, and one judge gave it to Vera. Um, I think I said to you again on Saturday, so not repeating ourselves, that judge, and we should make the point, the judges are not picked by the uh, UFC. They are picked by the Athletic Commission. So the UFC doesn't really have any say in this, despite how ridiculous it is. The judges had one... MMA judging fight before that fight and it was on that card. That motherfucker should be fired and never ever allowed to judge a uh, MMA match again. Yeah, it, it wasn't very good. Um, as you say, the very least or the, the very most I suppose you could give um, in terms of rounds to Vera was a single round. Um, I don't think you would be frowned upon if you said it was 5-0. And it was a 50-45 fight, but to give it as a 48-47 in fear of, a, of Vera. Just... Round three round three was the one that you might have argued Vera, and I think that was just because of one relatively solid punch. But 5-0 um, to me, I thought uh, Sandhagen put on a clinic, the best performance of his career. Um, angles, um, you know, it, 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 his preparation for his fight was, was amazing. One thing I did read that we didn't talk about on Saturday was quite interesting. I saw a, a pretty in-depth interview with him afterwards, uh, and he was saying about how he used to get into pretty dark places in training camps, that when he would lose, you hear this a lot from fighters, they lose the mental health aspect, they fucking hate their lives, they fucking feel like they've let people down, they they you know get into a very dark place, that's when they start fucking smashing drugs, smashing booze, going off down these these, these dark paths. Uh, and he said that he'd taken a fresh approach, which was to put a lot less pressure on himself and live in the moment, enjoy life a little bit more, rather than feeling banged up, try and make the most of things. And, you know, pulls out the, the performance of his career. So um, don't know if that had come from a, a sports psychologist or working with someone that's been you know, helping him from a, from a mental aspect. But I thought that was quite a, an interesting and very honest thing for somebody to say, that to say, look, most fighters, you know, they, they say for the week or so after they lose, that shit. You know, you're banged up, you've, your fucking ribs are smashed up, you've got your face smashed in, 
he might have been to the hospital of a broken nose. Um, you know, that isn't football. You lose a match, you go home, you're a bit fucked off, you're in training the next day. Yeah. Losing the fucking UFC fight is a completely different kettle of fish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Chimaev and Prohaska have been smack-talking one another. Um, Chimaev came out and said, me and Jiri, long time before when he was fighting in Ryzen, I was fighting Brave. We were in training together in the gym. I see me submit him many times. I beat him many times. How he became a champ, how I don't know. Maybe it's because there's too many bad fights in the division, to which the former UFC lightweight heavyweight champion responded in saying, which person needs to speak again and again about this four years old information inside of the gym information. Man, when we meet next time in the cage, I will show you my true power. I will not take it lightly anymore. Don't speak about others too much. Love yourself some more. Feels like bullshit to me uh, because when Prohaska was in Ryzen, he was a heavyweight. So you've got a heavyweight um, training with Kamaev who bounces between welterweight and middleweight. That is a, you know, you're talking a 40, 50, 60 pound weight difference there. Now, Kamaev's wrestling is no joke, and it would not surprise me in the slightest if Kamaev could actually take Brahaska down, but there's a big difference in weight there, and Brahaska has, has dropped weight to get down to light heavyweight, but he is a big boy. You know, he might, he might hit the, set, the scales at 205, but he's coming in at 220, probably 225 on fight night. Um, Kamaev just seems to be trying to be a shit Connor at the moment, talking bullshit to anyone that he can, trying to get any fight he can. The one that I really want to see, if I'm honest with you, could really be a bad matchup for Pereira, but is Pereira to beat Adesanya uh, at the weekend, and we'll do later in the week uh, a preview of that fight, and then take on Kamaev at 2.05 and kick the living fuck out of him and shut that motherfucker up for a while. That's how I would like to see it play out. I agree, and I think how you're getting so irate over Chimaev is exactly how people outside the UK probably thought of McGregor, ironically, um, in that they just they watch these fights because they want him to get bad. McGregor had a... Had a you, you could he hate charisma. him and you could be the heel, but he yeah. had a charisma, he had a wit, he had... You know, there's certain things you could not, even if you hated him, you couldn't laugh at. There, there was that live interview when he fought Chad Mendes. Chad Mendes, not the biggest guy, and he said something basically to words to the effect of, you're so small I could put my balls on your forehead. Now, <laughs> how, is, how is that not funny? And I've never heard anything as remotely witty or funny from Kamaev. He just seems to talk shit, you know, smack talk that's not, clever not witty doesn't you know look at the other one we, we me and you were talking about the other day when mcgregor walked past aldo and farted in his face <laughs> while he was sat down and said what are you going to do about it you know there, 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 there's things like that that you, you love him or hate him he brings entertainment to, to, to the forum and i don't think kamaev does personally uh, he's uh, without being harsh here he's obviously not uh, from England, he's still learning English, and his English is getting better. So he, 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 you know, perhaps over time that that might become better as he gets more used to the language and he can start to, uh, you know, be a bit more witty like that. But he's not funny. He just says shit. He, 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 he's a an absolutely wank McGregor. 
Agreed. And it, he is he's clearly a good fighter, but the only reason I watch or will be watching his fights from now on, as you say, is to watch him get, hopefully, sparkled. One day he's going to bite off more than he can chew. That's his problem as well. He thinks he's two really big balls. He's, he's talking about bouncing up. You know, it, well weight, he struggles to make the weight. 185 would be the obvious weight for him. He start talking shit to people at 205. He's nowhere near 205. And I think Poetang, if he didn't cut or Prohaska, would fuck him up. I think he should go up to heavyweight and fight John Jones. Or do you know what? Let's put him in. Let's go for it. Let's bring Brock Lesnar back. Put him in against Brock. <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that because uh, Endeavor her, or the Endeavor group have bought or have come to some sort of agreement with uh, as a merger with WWE. So you might actually see Brock Lesnar come back. I don't quite understand it. I did. I did read this that they they bought it or they bought the WWF WWE sorry um, event. Um, I just. Uh, how, whether they're going to cross-promote it, what they're going to do, um, I don't really know. Just on the Brock Lesnar thing, because I did see a thing pop up on my uh, MMA feed that I read. He was in a fucking wrestling match, whatever the fuck it is, WrestleMania or something over the weekend. He picked up and powerbombed a seven foot three, 410 pound man. This is a man that's nearly 50 and he picked him up above his head and body slammed him. Have you that seen man who... is a fucking freak I, I... of nature, Brock. I'll have to show you a picture of him because um, I've seen this. The guy was called Osmos or Omos or something like that. Um, and he is genuinely he's, he's massive in compared to, to Brock Lesnar. Like, obviously, it's all fake. And I'm sure that um, they've been practicing. You can be fake this... as you want, mate. You can't yeah, exactly. pick up a seven foot three dude who weighs 400 pounds. Brock was the freakiest, the only person I've ever seen who looks remotely as strong. And in fact, will do this fight on one of the next um, Bonners. Uh, Bonner segments is Shane Carwin, Brock Lesnar. They are the two of the most frightening dudes I have ever seen in a cage. Both of them are fucking huge. But um, yeah, I did see that about Brock and thought to myself, you know, coming up to 50, Clearly, they don't do steroid testing in WWE, so he is on all the juice. But um, I did think it was very impressive, nonetheless, to be uh, picking up a 410-pound man. You don't fancy going to watch uh, a WrestleMania with Conor McGregor headline? No, <laughs> no. Told you this. You said about it. No, I'd rather watch paint dry. Um, would you rather make over a million pound a fight? Because Paolo Costa... Uh, or his his manager or his promoter seems to be claiming that uh, he's the highest paid Brazilian in the UFC on over a million pound a fight. Yeah, and I, I mean he talks a bit of shit. Paulo Costa at one point was a very impressive fighter, um, incredible body, maybe the best body in MMA I've ever seen. After Yoel Romero, looks like a bodybuilder, absolutely shredded. The news that if I read that and I'm a Brazilian and I'm reading that and I'm Poetang in particular. I'm going straight to Dana and saying, what the fuck? You're giving something like the number five or sixth ranked middleweight a million pounds a fight, and I'm destroying people left, right, and center, and I'm not getting that. So I think, um, not saying I don't believe it, I think there's a little bit of ego and winding up on that, but I also think there's going to be some serious repercussions for Dana 
for other fighters coming out and saying, I'm fucking way better. I'm considerably higher ranked than Costa, and you're paying this motherfucker a million pound a fight. Do you believe it? Uh, I, I could believe it. What what I what I would believe is uh, the UFC again, unless uh, they've, they've they've gone more this way. But what they don't tend to do is pay people flat fees unless you are the upper echelon brocks. So what you would tell if if I had to guess, and this would be a complete guess, maybe an educated guess, I would bet he's on half a million to show, half a million to win. So if he wins, he gets a million, but his show money in terms of turning up is half a million, which is obviously very different from a mil. So um, that would be my educated guess if I had to give one, rather than he's getting a flat mil for every single fight. Do we know roughly on how much Conor McGregor was earning per fight? Uh, I believe for the second Nate Diaz fight, when he had all the pay-per-view included, he made 15 mil. Jesus fucking Christ. That is ridiculous. Red panty night, mate. <laughs> Connor makes what, makes what he wants, mate, doesn't he? They just, you know, he gets, he gets a ridiculous uh, amount. Connor is one of the only ones that they play a, fat fi- uh, a flat figure to, so he doesn't get a win bonus. He just gets a big amount, but he gets a ridiculous amount on the... Uh, pay-per-view percentages and again depending who you are depends on the scale of the pay-per-view percentages that you get the only two that I know that really clean up on the pay-per-view percentages is um, Connor and John Jones they both get massive slices of the pay-per-view figures would you and just saying on British fighters would you like to see another uh, well aware title defense in London this year, Fuck. potentially at UFC yeah, 291. I am, I am fucking in, and this is why we got that fight, uh, that fight pass, uh, so that we can do this. Um, it was interesting that they said it might well be July, which was a quicker turnaround than I thought. Um, I personally was hoping, and I thought in my, um, MMA maths mind what might well happen despite Dana's comments as he always does Kobe's next Kobe's this Kobe's that how I thought it would go down if I'm honest with you would be Chandler McGregor McGregor beats Chandler which I think is a fair possibility because he's he's a bad matchup but I feel like Connor does seem to be back training again plus he's got the juice in him so he's going to have a little bit more strength and endurance I thought they might then do Edwards McGregor and go big Wembley Croke Park in Ireland, something like that. And Kobe loses out. But um, I don't think the timeline that they've discussed and whether that's going to change as it always does with the UFC is going to move. But um, if Edwards Colby is back in the O2, we are going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could, it could be this fight leads up until, and obviously you gambling on Edwards winning, but leads up to the big one at the end of the year and try and bring it back and do three events in England or Ireland in uh, a single Yeah, I mean, you, you called it right that you, 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 that you yeah, I don't disagree with you that I think Dana does seem to enjoy taking McGregor to Vegas because he brings the crowds in there. He gets the, the, the Irish fans are, are, are rabid and, and travel over there and all the rest of it. But 
you can't tell me O2 is not big enough. Edwards is a is a is a brummy. Deserves probably a, a chance to fight at St Andrews at Villa Park in terms of a, a stadium fight. Fuck it, let's go the whole hog. Let's do Wembley. Edwards McGregor sells out in a day. I absolutely guarantee it for you. And they make tens, if not hundreds of millions of pounds from that fight. I cannot see any logic why they are not doing that, particularly when we talked about the UFC, how they don't care for rankings. They don't care for who's next in line. They let, let's let's do the money fight. That's the money fight all day. Agreed. Uh, there's no discernible reason. And again, we... I'd like to think that we're quite knowledgeable in the sport. Um, clearly, there's something that they see that we don't, but I don't understand why that wouldn't be a top priority because that, that sells so much, not just in pay-per-views, but in tickets, in publicity, in, in everything. So, yeah, no idea. Unless you're right, unless it's a, a stage thing. Edwards-Colby, the problem you got there, Colby's not a great matchup for Edwards in a similar vein that he's a... Usman-esque wrestler, he's going to take him down, he's going to lay and pray. Suddenly Edwards beats, uh, Colby beats Edwards, that fucking throws that out the window. Fuck Colby, send him the fuck off the little snitch who fucking gets his shit beaten out of him outside of uh, the restaurant by Masvidal because he's a fucking pussy. Tell him to get fucked, put McGregor straight in. That's the fight. Agreed. Um, We would normally, Ian, do a bonus segment here, but uh, there's been a palpable sense of hatred over this from our fan base and obviously you've got loads of messages in i've got messages in uh i'd like to go on record fuck say the that fans <laughs> that's what i say to you fuck, fuck you all what are you gonna do it's about it paul mcgregor i'd like to it say is, uh, on record it's ian's fault uh he sorts the uh, fights with this segment. My fault. Blame him. i did uh we discussed the last bonus segment i with no excuses, just forgot to put the next one out there. So uh, for this one, given the relevance, I think it wouldn't be, if I'm entirely honest, one of my greatest ever and one of the ones that I would encourage people to watch to bring them into the sport to make sure that they are watching, um, you know, some of the very best fights um, that we've talked about. But I'm going to go for Adesanya Pereira 1, given we've got Adesanya Pereira 2 next week. So it feels like a bit of homework. For those that haven't seen that fight that's rarely recent, fairly recently, watch that, see how that goes down. And I think it's a nice little uh, four-day week and a bank holiday weekend, isn't it? Um, you're off for a round of um, some kind of bent golf, I think, aren't you, on uh, Friday? Junkyard so, golf. Um, junkyard golf. Just, so you're playing golf in a fucking junkyard for the cars. That just sounds just, like what? It's just a name, you old bastard. It literally is <laughs> just you go get drunk and you play golf. There's no junkyards. There's no actual yards. There's no real junk. It's you do realise that's what happens with normal golf, that you go to golf and get drunk, but you're playing outside and you've got proper clubs and it's not different colours and fucking hitting it through windmills or clowns' mouths like crazy golf. But Do people um, actually drink during golf? What are you talking about? Of course they do. <laughs> you have, hit, have you ever... You've clearly never... What's never the been. point of playing golf if you're not drinking? I thought it was just like a casual Sunday relaxing no. thing we met. Yeah, maybe if you're fucking taking it professionally and seriously, but... Um, 
quick one segue I'll, I'll just tell you this this uh, uh, stag do so i went on a stag do uh st we went to a very posh golf club called glamorgan vale which is the same golf course where they hold the welsh open so very high level i'm a dog shit golfer um we uh we were in three balls which for the uneducated people like you daryl that means there's three of us each Thank person you. or each, each three ball had a bottle of whiskey the rule was if you lost the ball or you hit a ball in the water you had to have a cap of whiskey i played the best three holes of golf i've ever played i parred the first hole which was a four the second hole was a four i got a bogey and the third hole was a three and I parred it. So I got two pars and a bogey out of three holes. The next hole had a water feature. I lost five balls. So I did five <laughs> caps. I did five caps of whiskey. The next hole, there was a water feature. I lost six balls. So I did six caps of whiskey. And after that point, it all went downhill. I stopped playing golf. I started ragging the golf buggy around crashed the golf buggy into a tree and dented it and barely remember the rest of it but golfing and drinking is definitely part of it so um i'll take you for a round sometime i've got clubs i'm dog shit so you'll be equally as shit as me but when it gets to the summer we will get some booze in and we'll go for a nice we'll maybe start with some pitch and putt nice easy easy introduction to some golf for you but, tell you what um, we'll, you take me that and i'll take you to junkyard golf and we'll see you as most fun no, <laughs> but um, uh, boxing. So, yeah, then. we'll do a we'll do a Friday morning. I think hopefully then when we we'll do a full preview and breakdown of Adesanya yes. Pereira. Have you seen just on a side note before we move in? Have you seen the trailer for it from the UFC? Looks I have fucking just superb. because you keep telling me to watch these trailers whenever they come out, so I make sure that I watch them every time. Now, still won't beat the Edwards um, Usman one. I still think that was goosebump inducing but it's the music it's the way that they put uh, the production value they put it together it, it, it makes it gives me shivers down my spine and the quotes they used when you get rogan and he's like and fucking dc shutting out there is nothing like a proper ufc well edited um uh, trailer like that i think they are absolutely fantastic but sorry move on boxing well, uh, I'll get to it eventually if I'm allowed to now. But um, we, we made some announcements on Saturday. So we'll quickly run through these because they're not scheduled to take place just yet. But it was more upcoming things. So Haney and Lomachenko was announced uh, for May the 20th in Vegas. So Haney will put his WBC, WBA, uh, and IBF World Lightweight titles and his perfect record of 29 0 up against uh, the supremely skilled Ukrainian Southpaw. Uh, Loma has, he needs no introduction. He has a plethora of uh, fantastic opponents that he's beaten. He was considered one of the world's elite fighters before he suffered that shock points, uh, lost to Lopez in Las Vegas. He's since had a number of victories since, uh, since obviously since that. But one I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, as well as Tank versus Garcia. Uh, so Tank, who is 28 and 0, uh, Garcia is 23 and 0. Uh, um, due to do battle, I think at the end of it's this month now, isn't it? Jesus Christ! So it's the end of April. Um, that is being announced that it'll be free to subscribers of Design in the UK and in the Republic of Ireland. So it won't be a pay per view either.
Silva, obviously, perhaps, certainly in my opinion anyway, from the boxing I've watched, I've never seen anyone with footwork like him. The reason that he's got that footwork is his father, who is his trainer, was very astute when he was a uh, a very young man, I think in his early teens. And he actually said to him, you're not boxing anymore. I'm going to stop you boxing. And um, you... Ukrainian dancing. And he made him do Ukrainian dancing for two years in between his boxing to get his footwork to the level that it was so he uh, i mean it's a bit embarrassing if you're a boxer and you're like yeah what are you doing I'm, uh, again i'm training some kind of ballerina dancing but that's where that incredible footwork comes from and if you watch his highlight reels the amount of times he's there he's not he's out the way he's to the side i, I i've never seen someone with skills like him on his feet you know um We've also talked about he gets slept on a little bit in that he may have lost two fights out of um, 17. His second fight was for a world title. You look at someone like Haney, he's probably got, I can't remember again off the top of my head, his, his record is probably 40-odd, 30 wins, padded to shit. There's hardly any decent fighters, probably apart from the last four or five in there, that he's fought. So Lomachenko thrown in at the deep end, thrown into the walls, did not fuck around and still has a phenomenal record. So that, that for me, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, that's the, that, that, that fight is the one I'm most excited for. Second one for me is a new eight because I, I cannot believe he doesn't get the love that he deserves. Yeah, and that one's been pushed back to July, I think, because of an injury to anyway. But he is definitely one to keep your eye on because I think he'll just continuously move up, um, which is, is what we're expecting. I could see him taking on these two. Um, uh, he, he, he's still a fair way off, but if he puts a little bit of bulk on, he, he could be going up to Haney. He could be going up to Lomachenko. He, he's at that point where I think he's, I think he may be 125, 130. So he's not a million miles off the 140 that these guys are fighting at. And that motherfucker, he, he reminds me of Pacquiao in that he goes up through the weight classes, but his power just seems to stay with him through those weight classes. But I, I'm shocked that the world isn't more impressed with Inoue than, than what he is. He's easily top three pound for pound fighter in the world for me. Easily. I think it's because of the weight divisions, because I think... Boxing has this issue where unless it's the top of the top, so you're talking cruiserweight, um, you know, maybe lightweight at the very least, um, but certainly heavyweight, then people aren't that interested. People want to see knockouts in, in boxing, don't they? Some people who are sort of... The... But he knocks people out. I know he doesn't... But, not, but I mean... not, not in that way, though, if you know what I mean. I, I hear what you hear saying, and the lower weight classes. What you're saying is is exactly true, but Anoue has frightening power for that that weight class and lays people out on their back. So um, he's the one to watch for me. The only sad thing for me, I, I, again, I haven't got the stats in front of me. I think he's starting to get on a bit. I think he's probably 28, 29. So that window for him, if he is going to start bouncing up and taking on the big boys and 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 trying to get the bigger fights, he's probably got two or three years. And I think we said in terms of Lomachenko, Haney, the obvious next fight for them, they're fighting at 140. You go up to 145, 
then you're in with the real sharks in terms of Errol Spence Jr. and Crawford. Yeah, who um, have got very close to agreeing a fight, I think, uh, also in Las Vegas. So that's one to keep your eye on as well. Um, last bit on boxing then. So we did a bit of a preview of this one, obviously, beforehand. It was on the day of the fight. Um, since this, and you mentioned it right at the beginning, AJ versus Franklin, very, very comfortable for AJ. He won all but one round, didn't score the knockout, and has been criticised quite heavily for this, uh, considering the fact that he'd come in as the heaviest that he'd ever been. It looked like he was certainly going for the knockout, and that's one of the things that we said in the preview that we thought he was going for the knockout. Um, thoughts on it? You think, because I know that you think because he hasn't knocked him out, He's washed up, etc. But are you still maintaining that? Are you, is there any change in your opinion on that? Or I, I think he's done. Um, I, I don't think. I think his days as a as a top level heavyweight are done. I don't think there is any way back for him. I think the Usyk fights, the two losses to Usyk, uh, dented what was probably a slightly fragile confidence that he had anyway. Um and great fighter, really liked him at the time when he was on the rise. Just don't think he's at that level. He, he, he's a he's a Ricky Hatton. He's uh he's he's one of those people that just seems to me to reach his peak. He's 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 not never going to beat Tyson Fury, even though Tyson Fury will dodge him like a pussy. Usyk's got his number. The only one for me that would be the obvious thing to do would probably be Wilder and. Do, do we just have that just to to give him another fight and just to see if he can take that power from Wilder? That that that's the obvious next fight for me. I I don't I've got no interest in seeing him fight anyone else if I'm completely honest. But if you're saying he's washed up and he's done as a top heavyweight, is Wilder not a top heavyweight? No. So there's only two top heavyweights in your mind in the division. Yeah. There's AJ, AJ and Usyk, and then there's the rest below them, and then you've got under that you've got. It's AJ and Usyk, uh, did you say? Sorry, Fury and Usyk. You've got Wilder and uh, AJ are under that to some degree. You've probably got Dillian White that that uh, might well be in there. After that, who 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 is there? Tell tell me who there is after that, in terms of top level, elite of the elite heavyweights. I would no have uh, Dubois as number one, Joe Joyce as number two. Um, the fact that he's just looking away and just not even saying out um, says that that joke there's didn't not, land very well. But... I'm, not, I'm not just being... Uh, I think there's a top four. I think there's a top four. There's a big... There's a, that's like saying you've got Messi at the top in terms of the football. After that, you've then probably got Pele, Maradona then you've got a massive drop to your people like Ronaldo. For me, you've got Fury and Usyk at the moment, not talking all time, which is talking currently. There is a significant drop-off for me for AJ and Wilder after them two. I don't think you can say that. I, I still maintain the fact that I don't think you can say that about Fury in particular until he fights one of those other two. If he goes and knocks out Joshua, hold my hands up, okay, or he goes and knocks out Usyk. What about okay. knocking out Fury three times? All right, not knocking out, knocking Wilder. out twice, winning, win Wilder, knocking him out twice, winning uh, a draw, but he clearly won. I don't that, rate Wilder. So you, but you were just telling me Wilder's one of the top four in that thing. So then you're just saying I you don't rate him. I think he's bottom of the top four, but I think he is top four. 
But that's your point was that there isn't that many people in that division anymore, and I don't disagree with that. But I don't think it's a top two. I think it's a top four, and I think Wilder sits comfortably at the bottom of that. Then it's AJ or Fury, but Usyk sits comfortably at top. For me, if I'm honest, at the moment, boxing, heavyweight boxing, seems to have hit that kind of slight lull where again it's a little bit shit. The the division I like personally at the moment, and I'm I'm not sure there's particularly that many people, but light heavyweight is who I'm liking at the moment. Bival, Bertabiev, that's the fight for me. If I had to choose one now that I want to see, that's the fight. Cruiserweight's gone a bit downhill as well. You don't really hear that much about that anymore. You've got, obviously, Billum Smith is fighting uh, a Coley. A Coley that's coming in up. Bournemouth. One of my mates was just texting me to say whether or not I want to try and get tickets to that so we could try and go to that. I think that might be at Bournemouth Stadium. So I'll Billum keep you Smith, updated if we wanted to go to that. Yeah, I think Billum Smith wins that comfortably. Um, and I think React Paul beats them both. But the... Disagree. I would say Akali yeah. beats Callum Billum Smith, and I think Ricker Paul beats them both. I would agree with that. But I think CBS, I watched his last fight at the BIC in Bournemouth um, not that long ago. Wasn't really that impressed with him. Coley, uh, I don't think, is that impressive either. But I think if I had to, I'd give it to that. But I would totally agree with you that I think Rick and Paul beats him both. Well, either way, boxing's pretty washed up in terms of the top visions. And it's clearly all about MMA at the moment. Berbiev, uh, Bival, that's the fight. And then if you wanted to, if, he, if he's feeling brave enough and he wants to get his ass kicked again, you could throw Canelo in there and put him back up. Crawford, Errol Spence Jr. They're the two. That's the ones that the real, for me, hardcore boxing fans want to see. Agreed. Uh, I think that's all for this week. A bit of a long one. And apologies on the mic quality. We'll make sure that uh, we do one in person next time, I think, rather than um, remotely or certainly get us proper mics next time. But as always, thanks very much for listening. And we'll speak to you next week. (laughs) 